Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 37 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind, and we're getting you ready for the first round of the NBA playoffs. Grizzlies now know who their opponent will be. It will be the Minnesota Timberwolves. We've got a couple of visits, one with Stan Van Gundy of the NBA on TNT, and we will also visit with Michael Wallace, who is the senior writer for Grind City Media. Get his takes on the Grizzly season in review and an outlook toward the seven-game series with the Minnesota Timberwolves. First of all, we'll tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Now, if you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood, it's who we are in Hoop City. So the Grizzlies now know their opponent for the first round playoff series. Minnesota on Tuesday night, a come-from-behind victory over the Los Angeles Clippers, 109-104. So the Timberwolves entered the night as the seventh seed. By virtue of that victory, they get the seventh seed. And now the Clippers will play the winner of the San Antonio-New Orleans game, which is being played on Wednesday night and, in fact, will tip about an hour from right now as I record this in the uh, lavish home studio on Ridgeway Road. So the Grizzlies will play the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just to give you the outline of the schedule, game number one will be Saturday the 16th. That'll be a 2.30 tip at FedEx Forum. Game two will be Tuesday the 19th, game time to be determined. Games three and four will be in Minnesota. Game three on Thursday the 21st. That we know will be a 6.30 Central Time start. And then game four on Saturday, April the 23rd, that tip time is to be determined. If you need a game five, it'll be back in Memphis on Tuesday, April the 26th. A game six, if necessary, in Minnesota, Friday, April the 29th. And if we need to go all the way to a game seven, it will be on Sunday, May the 1st. Now, I know a lot of people have been asking. uh, There was a release put out today about the broadcast plans on a local level for the playoff series. The Grizzlies and Bally Sports Southeast will carry all of the first-round playoff games as far as we know at this point. The only time that the Grizzlies and Bally Sports Southeast would not have their own telecast would be if a game would be picked up by ABC. None of the first six games uh, are, are in windows although potentially Game 4 could be, uh, they're not in windows that ABC would pick up. However, on Sunday, May 1st, if it's a Game 7, and it turns out to be a really entertaining series, potentially ABC could take that. There would be no local telecast. But by and large, you should have Brevin and me and Fish uh, for the entire series. That's, That's the hope, at least at this point, just to go ahead and clear that up. So now you know... Uh, what the schedule looks like for this series. Uh, Also want to direct your attention, we're going to record on Thursday afternoon, Grind City Media, a roundtable. Michael Wallace will be there. Jessica Benson will host. Rob Fisher will be there. I'll be there, and we'll talk about this first-round series with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I'm sure we'll uh, give our predictions uh, at that point in time. That'll be on Grind City Media. That'll be coming out in a little bit. 
Like I said, uh, this is a little bit of a different show. We're just going to go with two friends of the program today. A couple of good conversations with a couple of really uh, good and knowledgeable basketball people. Our first visit today is going to be with Michael Wallace. He is the senior writer and editor for Grind City Media. He has written for... Uh, major publications, not the least of which is ESPN. He covered LeBron James when he was with the Miami Heat down in Miami, and he is an exceptionally well-plugged-in NBA insider. So without further ado, here is our first friend of the program, Michael Wallace. Michael, there are so many things we could talk about with this Grizzlies season. Tying the franchise record for wins in a season, most road wins, so many superlatives. Give me your top three or four storylines from your chair, what you saw with this Memphis Grizzlies team that made it so amazing. You know, it's, it's, uh, man, three or four, man. That's, I, I need, I need a little more space. You, than that. you can, you, you can, you could go as far as you want. <laughs> I feel claustrophobic. <laughs> no, three or four. <laughs> no time limit. <laughs> yes. I, I think, I think first and foremost, the, the, the one that jumps out the most is that, you know, John Morant's elevation from, you know, budding star to clear cut superstar MVP type talent. And, um, you know, basically when you look at the Jaws trajectory, even going back to Murray State, um, you know, he sort of felt his way around that first year. He had the same kind of if you look at his clips and his highlights from freshman year, he did the same thing that he did as a breakout sophomore. He just, you know, kind of spread the wealth and was happy to sort of set his teammates up. Um, and then year two came around and he just took over and became dominant. I think he did that. The first two years in Memphis kind of let his teammates kind of dictate where they fit com- most comfortably. And then this year, he just took off. I mean, it was just a meteoric rise in terms of how he approached the game. All of those tools he already had, I think he just became a better shooter, a more confident shooter. But other than that, man, him taking off and becoming a top 10, top 12 talent in this league was storyline number one. Uh, storyline number two to me was Desmond Bain's breakout. Um, to go from a guy that was picked 30th overall, and if you redraft that draft, again, right now, he's a top 10 pick easy, maybe even top five when you look at who was in that draft with him. Um, so just his shooting is something that the Grizzlies have been <laughs> – Pete, you've been around a long time with the Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah, we need – a shooting guard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's funny. People people kept saying, we need more three-point shooters. I know. said, no, yes. we need three-point makers. Makers, yes, yes. Anybody can yes. shoot. Making, that's yes. another issue. At, man, he's answered prayers from a long time. I mean, since basically Mike Miller, and he broke the three-point record Mike had. And then to me, number three, and I know I'm skipping over some, but quiet as it's been kept, the best storyline to me, number three, would be Jaron Jackson Jr.'s durability. This is a guy that had never played more than, than 50 games in either of his first three seasons, and he surpassed that before the All-Star break this year. And uh, his ability to be on the court throughout an entire season for the first time in his career obviously allowed for him to lead the league in total blocks, uh, become an all-defensive uh, player uh, candidate. And, and just his durability speaks volumes to me for what this team has been able to do defensively. So that's three. I answered your that's, question. That's, that's three. Okay, we'll go with three. Well, let's, let's spin that off and let's talk about Jaron because one of the answers that people give when I ask them, okay, from from your viewpoint, why were the Grizzlies – so successful when Ja was out. And a lot of people will say it was because Jaron was so good defensively. Are, are, are you in that camp, or was, there, or was there something else about this team and its cohesion that allowed yeah. them to prosper even when Ja was out? I mean, Jaron's defensive uh, tenacity, Stephen Adams playing right alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't think Jaron would have been as great defensively if it wasn't for Stephen Adams 
covering for him in a lot of ways, just from a toughness, a physicality, allowing Jaron to not have to take on so much physical, so many physical matchups uh, so he can stay fresher and stay healthier from that standpoint. Um, but I also think, man, you got to look at Tyus Jones. I mean, this is a guy that went from being basically out of the playoff rotation last year against Utah to being an essential guy that held this team together for 22, 24 games when John Morant wasn't there. Um, you know, obviously people say, well, you know, Tyus is a backup in this league, but he's proven that, you know, when given an opportunity to start, he can stay organized. Again, leading the league in assist to turnover ratio, it's off the charts. I think that helped. And then Desmond Bain being able to be a three-level scorer allowed him to take on more ball handling responsibilities and also shooting as well. So those things helped. But Jaron, obviously, being the defensive anchor was key. You know, and I think people forget in the Orlando bubble, Grizzlies did not have Tyus Jones. Or Jaron. I I, I, or Jaron. <laughs> or Jaron. And, and not having both of those guys, that's why you end up as a nine seed and then, then you lose the play-in game. All right, we know who the Grizzlies are playing now. It'll be the Minnesota Timberwolves. When people asked me going in, who would you rather play? And I said both matchups – present difficulties, particularly with the Clippers getting healthier. Don't have to worry about the Clippers at the moment. This Minnesota matchup is problematic because of youth, length, and Pat Beverly. (laughs) So as you look at this matchup, where do you see the pressure points for the Grizzlies that they need to handle their business in order to win win the series? I mean, I think these two teams are basically mirror images of each other. I mean, they score the ball easily. And they score them from various different players, uh, the balance and the depth. Um, they know guys that come in and know their roles and accept their roles. You know, we don't talk a lot about Jared Vanderbilt. We don't talk a lot about some of the other guys. Uh, Reed come, they're big coming off the bench. Uh, Reed coming off the bench uh, being a t- the type of enforcer that he is. You know, we don't really mention how much, you know, some of their uh, uh, guys that, that come in and take some of the pressure off of Carl Anthony Towns. But when you add in, you know, a D'Angelo Russell, who seems to have the Grizzlies number. You know, um, he loves this matchup and, and the Grizzlies haven't been able to find an answer for him. Um, so it's one of those situations where we got to see what happens, um, you know, in, in terms of how the Grizzlies are going to match up and match that energy. We both know these teams are young. They don't give a, you know, much. They don't give a care about, you know, perception and all of that kind of stuff. They just want to go out there and smack people in the mouth. And then Patrick Beverly is willing to do any and everything to get under your skin. So that's going to be key. How do we match up against their guys? Okay, D'Angelo Russell, do you put Dylan Brooks on him? Do you put Dylan Brooks on Anthony Edwards? Who's going to be the secondary perimeter defender to balance that out? Those are all questions I can't wait to see play out and unfold in this series. Yeah, because in the regular season, split 2-2, home team winning all four, Dylan Brooks did not play in any of those four matchups. You had the opportunity to cover the Miami Heat Mm -hmm. during their glory years. And if there is a team that has been so successful in creating – and perpetuating and fulfilling a culture. It's the Miami Heat. You look at this Grizzlies team and what Taylor Jenkins has done. I I go back to a quote that Steven Adams said. He said, you can talk about culture. You can talk about, you know, building camaraderie and all that. And he said, but no, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually deliver on it. Long way around of saying you were in Miami, you saw their culture. You're seeing the culture that's being developed in Memphis. Similarities, Mm -hmm. differences, and and is it as strong in Memphis as it it is in Miami? I I think it is. Well, Miami took a long time to to build that over decades and generations, but it started with Pat Riley being the voice, being the one voice that everything trickled down from. And he built a development system with his coaching staff, and then that led out to a development system with his players, 
Uh, the front office continuity has been tremendous there over 30 years, 35 years that these guys have all been together uh, in Miami. I think we have, you know, what, what is the beginning of that here in Memphis? And what it took is, you know, a guy, an owner, you know, like Robert Perra, you know, and Mickey Arison is the same way. Mickey Arison allows Pat Riley to run the franchise. Robert Perra allows Jason Wexler and guys like that, you know, Zach Kleiman to run their franchise. But what, what's remarkable about the Grizzlies culture that maybe a lot of people don't get to peek behind the curtains like you and I do is that if you talk to Jason Wexler, if you talk to Zach Kleiman, they don't talk about themselves. They talk about their staff and, and, and the people who help bring uh, this team together. I mean, you're going to hear, you know, different assistants and different, you know, other front office people uh, in and around those guys. And it's the same way with Taylor Jenkins as well. You know, he looks to his right. He sees Brad Jones. He looks to his left. He sees Darko Ryakovich, um, Sonia Rahman, and, and, and you know, David McClure and Scooney Penn. And he always gives those guys credit for what they're doing. And I think that allows the team to be together. And that togetherness is what stands out about this culture. And now you're seeing it successful. So guys can't come in and be selfish because they are already, you have to sacrifice when you come in, but everybody's going to feast and everybody's going to eat. Having been around Taylor Jenkins, what is the personality trait that mm-hmm. sets him apart from other NBA coaches? I want to hear your answer and then I'll tell you what Stan Van Gundy told me, but I want to, I want to hear what, what your, your take is. And you know what, this is, this is probably a lot more personal than, than what you probably intended with the question, but Pete, you and I have both suffered losses, you know, losses of life, losses of loved ones uh, over the last two years, two, three years here. And Taylor Jenkins reaching out personally uh, to both of us. You know, I was there when he reached out to you, you were around when he reached out to me and it wasn't about basketball. It was, it was, Hey, you know, how are you doing? Is there anything more we can do? Taking the time out of his day to care about who we are, not because we work for the Grizzlies, but because we're human beings. And, um, you know, that, that when he's connecting to us like that, and we're two or three layers removed from his inner circle, just imagine what he's doing within his inner circle of players and coaches uh, and family members from that standpoint. Um, that, I, I, you know, I can, I can evaluate him as a coach. I know he's going to be a coach of the year candidate. He should be. He deserves it. Um, but I also can evaluate him as a man and how genuine he is. And I think when you're around him, his smarts jump off the page, uh, how much he cares, and his level of tenacity and preparation is just off the charts. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say anything uh, uh, more than that about him because, I mean, that's just what he is. He is what, he, what you see, and he stands for a lot of great things. Yeah, I mean, what I'm most impressed with with Taylor is the fact that he cares about people as people before he yeah. cares about them as basketball players, as assistant coaches, or whatever. Yeah, We have the very unique perspective of being with Taylor as we both went through very significant personal losses. Stan Van Gundy obviously hasn't. And when I asked Stan Van Gundy, I said, what is the best trait or what is the trait that really stands out for you about Taylor Jenkins? He said, his intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think that his intelligence, his organizational ability, and I had a conversation with Zach Kleiman, and, and one of the things that he pointed out was how well the Grizzlies performed and played when one night it was Taylor coaching, one night it was Darko coaching, one night it was Brad Jones coaching because of COVID. And even though he was in health and safety protocols, this team really did not miss a beat. And, and that they said is, look, this is his intelligence. This is his planning. This is his preparation, his attention to detail. And it allowed this Grizzlies team to, to be really good, which for me, and I don't have a ballot, I, I, I would vote Taylor Jenkins. And I know some people might say that's a hometown vote, but I mean, Monty Williams has done a, a marvelous job. There's no question. But the talent level that he has 
and and what the Grizzlies were able to do through COVID to me speaks to the quality of coach that Taylor Jenkins is. It's also a, a, a quality, Michael, with with this basketball team that they're just really really good guys on this team, and yeah. Yeah. it's it's a camaraderie camaraderie that has developed organically. Yeah. Uh, from from your perceptions of this team. How how did that all come to be? Because I know some of us were concerned that maybe there wasn't that, that, that old hand uh, yeah. in the locker room and and the age. I mean, there's nobody over thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very homogenous in terms of experience and, and age, and uh, they have come together just brilliantly. And I'm just yeah. I, I'd like your take on why you think that has developed the way that it has. Well, I'm, I'm gonna back up first before I answer that because you made a, a great point on you know the coach of the year ballot, and as you were talking, for whatever reason, it just hit me that the three guys that I will vote for are three guys I have personal relationships with, and I've seen uh, over the course of my career and my life. Man, Monty Williams and I went to high school together. He was a star on the varsity at, in the twelfth grade when I was a ninth grade JV scrub. Okay. So we were on the same team at Potomac <laughs> High School, uh, riding the bus to games together. So I've known him and followed his career all throughout. So for him to be out of the league, uh, struggling to find his way initially in some stops to be where he is right now, um, man, I'm, I'm such a fan of his as, as a person as well. Um, and I, I know all of these guys as men in addition to coaches, right? And I've seen them as men before I saw them as coaches. So right. it's, it's kind of remarkable. Eric Spolster was the other guy too. I mean, right. I remember he was just a hat to the backwards, flip-flop wearing video equipment guy uh, in, 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 in the dungeon in, in Miami coming up under Pat Riley. So seeing him grow and, and become the franchise all-time leader in wins as coaching. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And obviously Taylor, we talked about them, but you talked about the, uh, the, the togetherness and the bond, the camaraderie of these guys with the Grizzlies. And I'm going to give you another comparison that takes me back to my Miami time. Ja and, and LeBron James are two completely different players, obviously, but the way that they go about embracing their teammates with that youthful, I, and this, I'm talking about early LeBron, not Lakers LeBron. You know, I'm talking. <laughs> Nobody about wants to talk about Laker LeBron right, right. now. Right, <laughs> in, in Cleveland, early Cle- initial Cleveland LeBron, whereas the star, the superstar label was put on him, on him so early, but he only wanted to have fun as a teammate. He just wanted to fit in, and I think what Ja, what Ja was able to do was to come in as the top overall pick and put Jaron Jackson Jr. at ease. Um, Jaron was a lottery pick the year before Ja. Jaron didn't necessarily embrace that spotlight as much as Ja did, but he took it and became more of a teammate. He cheered on his other teammates. And I, I think when you set that tone, and again, it was because guys like Solomon Hill came through and guys like J- uh, Jay Crowder came through and put their arm around the young guys and said, hey, we're going to show you how this league works. And they all had roles. And, and I think now you see these guys are all pretty much the same age within four or five years of each other. Uh, they all have that collective chip on their shoulder because they came somewhere where they were either overlooked, undervalued, or not used to the degree that they thought they would be in, in other places. Or they came into the draft with some kind of mark on them, short arms, short wingspan or whatever. So they had a lot to collectively prove. Right. When you add Taylor Jenkins to that, a lot of people question. How did he get this job when he jumped over some lead assistants on Milwaukee's bench as a secondary assistant? And then Zach Kleiman, who was this guy before, you know, the Grizzlies elevated? Not many people knew who Zach Kleiman. So they all collectively from top down have this youthful energy and this youthful, I got to go out here and prove something together. And they're having fun along the way. That's a really good point. The, 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 the origin stories of a lot of the key players in this yeah. deal are very, very similar. And just getting back to John, the youthful enthusiasm when people ask me, well, why was this team successful when Ja was out? I said, he is such a charismatic leader. 
Yeah. That these guys, yeah. they want to play, A, they want to play for him, and B, they don't want to let him down. And I think yeah. that was part of the reason why the Grizzlies were so, so successful. Bottom line, Memphis, Minnesota, best yeah. of seven. I need a prediction. Oof. Hey, man, we, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Grizzlies. Uh, you know what? I, I did say this. I felt like the Clippers would have been a more tailor made matchup for the Grizzlies. I felt like we could have seen them come and we match up a lot better. They would struggle to adjust to our pace. Um, Minnesota neutralizes a lot of things the Grizzlies can do. So this, I think, is going to be a tougher series for the Grizzlies. But I do think home court advantage is going to take the cake. Because that, that's what happened in the regular season. I do think Minnesota is a lot more erratic than the Grizzlies are. They're a lot more consistent. And I think the bench production, Tyus Jones, guys like, you know, when, when Tyus comes off that bench, when Kyle Landerson comes off that bench, and then when Brandon Clark comes off the bench, that's going to be the difference in these games. Because I do think the starters kind of counsel one, other, one another out. Tyus Jones going up against his former team is going to be the X factor in this series. Okay. Okay. I I feel very strongly that this will be a long. Grizzlies and six. My fault. Grizzlies and six. <laughs> okay. I was going to say Grizzlies and seven because we're dealing okay, we're dealing okay. with home court advantage. But I, I agree with you, Michael. I think it's going to be a long series. This is this is not your typical two seven matchup by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. And if the Clippers had won the play in game, the first play in game, that wasn't a, a typical two seven matchup because you no, get put no. because you know you get uh, Norman Powell back and and Paul George is back. So uh, it'll be very intriguing to see how this all plays out, Michael. Thank. Thank you so much for the time and the insight. Anytime, anytime. Thanks a lot, Pete. So there's Michael Wallace, our friend of the program, at least friend of the program number one for tonight with his takes on the season that was for the Memphis Grizzlies and what he foresees in the seven-game series against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Before we get to our second and final guest on today's show, Stan Van Gundy of the NBA on TNT will tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. You know the NBA playoffs mean next-level basketball, so get ready for all the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, you get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament, and you'll get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. They are an official sports betting partner of the NBA. A minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply, and we tell you that. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado or New Hampshire, the number is 1-800-522-4700. In Connecticut, 888-789-7777, or you can visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Iowa, the number to call is 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP. In New York, 877-8-HOPE-NY, or you can also text to HOPE-NY. In Oregon, visit opgr.org. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. Or in Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. 21 or older, 18 or older in Wyoming. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, 
New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for more details. All right, our second and final friend of the program in this playoff preview edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind is Stan Van Gundy. Uh, had the opportunity to work with Stan on a, a TNT game, checked something off the broadcast bucket list. Uh, we had the, uh, the Clipper-Denver game won by the Denver Nuggets and uh, had a lot of fun. Stan is good people, very astute basketball mind, uh, very self-effacing. Uh, you know, he, he's look, give me tips on how to be a better broadcaster. And, and, you know, for somebody who's been in the league as long as he has, it's, you know, it's like, I still think of myself as a kid, even though I've been in the league almost 30 years. Um, but a great guy loved sitting down, chatting with him. He was in town for the season finale against the Boston Celtics. He was calling the game along with Brian Anderson of TNT. Now, remember when we recorded this, we did not know who the Grizzlies would be facing in the first round of the playoffs. So uh, I asked him about the Clippers and about the Minnesota Timberwolves. But a good conversation with Stan Van Gundy. He is our second friend of the program today. Stan, I always ask people that have a national profile, and you do with TNT, your thoughts about the Memphis Grizzlies, because they're going to go into a playoff series against either Minnesota or the Clippers. Both are difficult matchups, but in different ways. What's your prognosis for the Grizzlies as they get into the first round of the playoffs? Well, the thing I like about the Grizzlies, first of all, is they're not reliant on shooting the ball from three-point range. I mean, what they do works consistently every night. The running, the attacking, the defending, creating turnovers, getting on the glass, that type of stuff, you're not going to have off nights in that area. Um, My only concerns with them, everybody has brought up the age and lack of playoff experience. And that could be a concern more so for me in the second round if they hit a team like Golden State, who's got a lot of that experience. But I do think the half-court offense will get tougher for Memphis. I think when people lock in in a seven-game series, you're going to see a very packed-in defense. Now, I don't know if you can pack it in enough to keep John Moran out of the lane. But it's going to be very packed in. They're going to work. Teams are going to work very hard to make the ball come out and make Memphis make some shots. So I think it'll be interesting. But, I mean, I think right now you'd have to favor Memphis against anybody other than the Phoenix Suns. When you are a coach and you have a young team that is a little shy on playoff experience, what can you do as a head coach to ease that transition? I know there's nothing like NBA playoff basketball, but can you tell them what it's like? Can you somehow get them ready for it? Well, I think so. And I think, first of all, and I think Taylor Jenkins will do that, is just the whole idea that this is still a game of basketball. Yeah, it's the playoffs and the whole thing. But you've played basketball your whole life. Every one of these guys has been in big games and pressure situations, and they've done all that. And then they have last year to lean on. I mean, the core of this team is the same. And so even though they only went five games, they played in the playoffs, and you learn from that. And I think the biggest thing you learn is what works one night is not necessarily going to work the next night because the team is going to make adjustments, and you've got to be ready for the next thing coming, not only as a team, but as an individual. Never will people hone in on your strengths and weaknesses more than they will in the playoffs. And so that's what they have to be ready for. Taylor Jenkins has been through it, let's remember. 
as an assistant and then last year as a head coach. I don't really worry much about that, particularly in the first round. I don't worry about it a lot. Now, if you get to the second round and it's the Warriors and they're fully healthy, obviously that'll be a big challenge. I know you're a big fan of Taylor Jenkins, potentially could be coach of the year. As a former coach yourself, what do you see in him that makes him so good? I just don't think he's really got a weakness. I think, first of all, his players buy into everything he does. They seem to believe in each other and believe in what they're doing. That's the biggest challenge you have as a coach. Um, beyond that, I mean, in terms of X's and O's, everything is, is really, really solid. We've seen his ability to adjust to different players and different teams. What I like the most is I don't think there's anything not to like. And what he's done, going back to the young team, to bring them this far this fast has been incredible to me, and that's why I'd have him as my coach of the year. I mean, I I don't think anybody could have looked at this roster in the ages and thought they were ready to make this jump from the play-in to the second-best record in the NBA. Like, I would have said... If they could have just avoided the play-in and been in that sixth spot, great season for the Memphis Grizzlies. You're on the right track. Everything's looking up. Where they are now is incredible. When you look at the rest of the field, is Phoenix a prohibitive favorite or is it more wide open than that? I mean, I, I, I don't know about prohibitive, but I think they're a very solid favorite. I mean, they've dominated the league. They're, they're eight games up. I mean, you know. And they've done it all year. They've done it even when Chris Paul was out. And it's just hard to find a weakness on that team. And again, another team that I think what they can do is they can beat you in any style. If the game's going up and down and it's high scoring, they can do that. If it slows down and you got to grind it out, they can do that. If you're going to take away the paint and leave them threes, they don't shoot a ton of them if, unless they're wide open. But if they are, they knock them down. If you stretch it out, they can get twos. And better than anybody, a lot of it's Chris Paul, but they really execute down the stretch in close games. You've made the transition from coaching to broadcasting. Tell us a little bit about your approach and your experience working with Brian Anderson and Ian Eagle for TNT. Well, I'm just trying to learn. I mean, you know, you trying to learn to make my points quicker and try to find the the right level of analysis. You've worked with a lot of guys and you know, you wanna give the fans something and maybe a little bit that they didn't know or haven't thought of, but you don't wanna get too much into coach speak where you're over their head either. So you don't wanna speak down to them and you don't wanna be over their head. I think that's a hard balance. I ask for help from play-by-play guys and the pros and you know, I, I, I really value feedback because I'm not a TV guy. I'm just learning. Stan, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate the visit. Thanks, Pete, and good luck for a long playoff run for you guys. Very much enjoyed the visit with Stan Van Gundy when he was in town to call the Boston-Memphis game for TNT along with Brian Anderson. Of course, uh, that was a game where the Grizzlies rested so many players and Boston won easily going wire to wire in that one. Uh You'll hear more of my thoughts um, on this playoff series on the Grind City Media Playoff Roundtable, which will drop later this week. 
you know, in, in short fashion, I think that this is a series that is going to go long. I, I think, you know, you heard Michael Wallace earlier in the podcast say he thought it was going to go six games. I personally think it's going to go seven. This is going to be a highly competitive series. I think this is also a series where you could have a new rivalry being forged. You have two young teams that play very similar styles. You have teams that play with a swag, play with an edge, and uh, are going to play with an element of physicality. I think this is going to be – this is not your typical 2-7 matchup by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I think Minnesota, with the momentum built off the win over the Clippers, is going to come in with a lot of fire. They're going to come into Memphis thinking that they can steal one of the first two games in Memphis. And I would not be surprised if they did steal one of the first two games in Memphis. The big asterisk in this series for me is the play of Dylan Brooks and how will he be able to play defensively against Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell. Remember the last time the Grizzlies went into Minneapolis, they had zero answer for D'Angelo Russell, and that was the thing that really killed them in that ball game. Like I said, I think it's going to be a very close series. I see this going seven, and because the Grizzlies have home court advantage, I think that's going to propel them into the second-round series against either Denver or the Golden State Warriors. But I think it's going to be highly entertaining. If the regular season is any indicator, it is going to be a very high-scoring season or series. Both these teams score the ball pretty much at will. Grizzlies, I think, have a little bit better defense, uh, but their defense has struggled at times against Minnesota. Minnesota's defense, they've done a good job of taking away John Morant. They play the boxes and elbows and they try to take the pain away from him. And they have been, by and large, pretty successful with that. So it'll be move and counter move. Taylor Jenkins has been through this. Uh, Chris Finch has not, not at this level anyway. So a slight edge in coaching uh, to Taylor Jenkins. But I think the talent level is is pretty commensurate on, on both sides, maybe a slight edge to Memphis. But both these teams, like I said, they're young, they're hungry, they play with swag. It's going to be a highly entertaining series, and I think it's a series that might just uh, captivate the nation with the intensity and the spirit of, of both the fan bases and uh, the players on the floor. So there's my prediction. Grizzlies in seven over the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, we thank Michael Wallace of Grind City Media for stopping by. Also thanks Stan Van Gundy of the NBA on TNT for visiting with us as well. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.